Hey, SCF Student Ministries, Devin here, bringing you week two of our goals series that we're doing for the month of January. Uh, and the second week, we're going to be talking about um, just a continuation of what we talked about last week, which was setting and achieving goals. Um, not just any goals, we're talking about God-sized goals. And we set goals all the time as people, uh, whether you write them down in their series or, or they're just things you think in your head. I might not even register that they are goals, but think things just on a day-to-day basis, like I'm going to finish my homework by seven o'clock. I'm going to make the volleyball or basketball team or whatever it might be. Um, we set those goals, but after you set a goal, have you ever felt stuck, uh, stuck trying to achieve that goal? Um, and if you've ever gotten stuck trying to achieve a goal, don't worry, we've all been there, but what matters is how we get unstuck. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the book, The The Little Prince. You may have read that as um, a kid. Um, there's a quote in it that I love, and it says, A goal without a plan is just a wish. And the author seems to know a few things about goals because he was a pretty um, accomplished human. He was a writer, a poet, a journalist, and even a pilot. So how did he achieve so much? Was he just exceptionally talented, smart, or lucky? And maybe it could be that, or maybe he just knew the power of a well-executed plan. So while some of us may be more naturally talented than others in certain areas, we are all capable of accomplishing big things. Whether it's building a Cheerio Tower, learning a new skill, or changing the world, God gives us all the ability to solve problems and make things happen. But to accomplish anything, we usually need a plan. So what's a goal that wouldn't be possible without a plan? And it might be a spiritual goal, like spending time with God more regularly. It might be a mental goal, uh, like learning a new skill. Um, It might be a physical goal, like trying a new activity or getting stronger or faster. Or it might be a relational goal, like being a better friend or being kinder to your family. And these are all good goals, but without a plan, they're just wishful thinking. Is that's That's what separates the goal and wishful thinking. So what about you? What's one of your most plan-worthy goals? So think to yourself, what is one of those? What Do you have a plan-worthy goal? I know uh, for me, um, I had to make a plan for a goal that I made um, a couple of years ago. So I had a goal to um, uh, learn how to like, I just wanted to get better at really at like, construction like working around the house like projects around there and so I had a a goal to um it was to remodel a house really was what the goal was um when you get down to it and so um and that was something that was super new to me uh I had really no experience doing that kind of things um and so my my plan to do this was um one, I just, I watched, I needed to learn. So that was step one was learning. And so I um, started with YouTube videos, as many YouTube videos as I could watch for each of the projects. I started, um, also I guess my step one was making a list. So I made a list of all the projects that I need to accomplish to remodel this house that I had bought with a friend of mine. Um, and there was a long, it was a long list of things. I didn't know how to do most of them. I'd never even tried to do most of the things that were on that list. Um, but it was my goal to finish them, um, within a year. And so we got started. I started learning. I was watching YouTube videos. Um, when YouTube was, wasn't enough to help me with certain things. Yeah. It got me through a lot of projects, but, uh, through a friend of a friend, we had a, um, a contractor that agreed. He, he was a friend of my friend and he came out and he helped us with some things, but he also showed me a lot of what he was doing as we were going. 
Um, and that allowed me a lot of resources and opportunities that I wouldn't normally have to work alongside a contractor to learn these different projects. Um, and eventually we did get all of the, the projects done. Uh, the house was finished. It was flipped around. Um, and uh, I accomplished my goal. And I don't tell you that story to brag about how good I am at achieving my goals or anything like that. I tell you because if I can do it, you can too. If you're not um, convinced, maybe the next part of Nehemiah's story will help convince you. So if you remember last week, we started talking about Nehemiah. Uh, we're looking at a book in the Old Testament of the Bible. Um, it was about 140 years before this book was written. The Jewish people were conquered by an enemy army. Uh, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, burned the temple where the Jewish people worshiped God, and sent many of God's people into exile. But God promised that one day the Jewish people would return. And when the book of Nehemiah begins, some of God's people have begun returning to Jerusalem looking for ways to rebuild what they had lost. But it was a long process. Nehemiah was passionate about seeing Jerusalem restored, but he saw a problem. Although some of God's people were living in Jerusalem, the city walls were still in shambles. And the practical problem with this was without walls, God's people would be vulnerable to another attack. The spiritual problem, though, was leaving the walls in shambles dishonored God, but rebuilding them would be a sign that their people were returning to God and choosing to be obedient again. So inspired by his love for his people and his God, Nehemiah set a God-sized goal to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so God's people would be protected and God would be honored. Nehemiah had a goal, but what about a plan? And if you remember from last week, the first thing Nehemiah did was to spend time in prayer. He fasted and prayed for months. Uh, in, in the verse that we read last week is Nehemiah 1, 4 says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then in verse 11, it, uh, it says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of his man. So there are three things I notice in, in these two verses. Nehemiah didn't ask God uh, for step-by-step instructions. He knew God wanted him to lead the charge to rebuild the church, or to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and that was enough. He didn't say that, I'll just sit here and wait for you to tell me what to do next. He started planning. And by the time he reached the end of his prayer, Nehemiah was already working on his plan. He asked God to help him be successful in what he was about to attempt. Uh, he says that I was the cupbearer to the king. This is a helpful information for us to know, but I think it has another purpose. It shows us Nehemiah was making note of the resources God had already given him. And as cupbearer to the king, he had access and influence with the most powerful person in the kingdom. To sum it up, you could say Nehemiah planned while he prayed. So now we're going to be in chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 through 9, and it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, 
How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted me my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So thinking where you're at, were you thinking that why why are we reading all these boring details? Um, If that's you, stick with me. In these verses, we discover Nehemiah hadn't just been praying and casually planning. He had been preparing in great detail. The king asked Nehemiah why he looked sad. He had an answer prepared. The king asked Noah what Nehemiah wanted, and he had a request already prepared to answer. The king wanted to know how long Nehemiah's journey would take, and he had a timeline already mapped out. And since the king seemed pretty open to his ideas, Nehemiah also had a list of requests prepared even. So throughout this process, Nehemiah continued to talk to God in prayer, but he didn't wait for God to do all the work. He used the strategic mind God gave him to plan and prepare while we, while he, while he waiting for the right opportunity. Because Nehemiah had prepared in detail for the opportunity he hoped he would get to speak with the king. When God arranged the perfect moment, Nehemiah was fully prepared to take advantage of it. So to sum it up, Nehemiah prepared while he planned. And Nehemiah already had a plan in place. But now it was time to recruit others to help him make it happen. But first he needed to figure out how to deal with the people who definitely didn't want to help. And so that's where we're going to pick up in verse 10 through 20. Uh, when when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see you see the troubles we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalite the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So Nehemiah gained a couple of enemies during this process. When you're working on a God-sized goal, that usually happens or it can happen. But once again, Nehemiah was ready. He wasn't naive and he expected people to oppose him. 
He knew to hold his tongue and keep his plans a secret from the people who opposed him, and he was wise about who he trusted. He figured out a way to bypass the people who opposed him so he could recruit people who shared his vision for this God-sized goal. So he surrounded himself with the right people. So to sum it up, Nehemiah planned for opposition. And God gave Nehemiah a huge task to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But God also gave Nehemiah everything he needed to make it happen. Nehemiah had access to God through prayer. He had his God-given talents, abilities, and passions. He had the resources, opportunities, and connections God had given him, and he had other people. Although Nehemiah's God-sized goal probably scared and overwhelmed him sometimes, Nehemiah didn't give up or wait around for someone else to handle it. Instead, Nehemiah made a plan. Although Nehemiah's goal was extraordinary, he understood the tools he would need to accomplish that goal uh, were ordinary and they were already available to him. Nehemiah took the vision God had given him, the skills God had given him, and the resources God had given him, and he got to work. Nehemiah trusted that accomplishing this God-sized goal was exactly what he was made to do. And just like Nehemiah, you are designed for God-sized goals too. So think about one big goal you've achieved. Have you got it? Good. I don't know how you achieved your goal, but here's what I do know. You were able to achieve it because God designed you to do big things. You have a brain that can strategize, people who can help you, and skills and resources you can use uh, to see your goals accomplished. If you're not sure what you think about God right now, or maybe you're not sure you have any God-sized goals, that's okay. What I'm going to share with you can still help you achieve whatever goals you have. If your goals right now are all about what you want to do or achieve for yourself, The story of Nehemiah can teach you some important wisdom that will help you achieve your goals, no matter what they are. But I want to challenge you to think bigger than that. God designed you to do big things, even bigger than getting into college or making a sports team. Chase after your goals, but don't settle for goals that only benefit you. Like we talked about last week, try asking God what else you might be designed to do because God has big plans for you, God-sized plans. If you think you might have a God-sized goal growing in your own heart, that's great. Maybe you wrote something down last week and you've been thinking about it ever since then. Either way, there are four things I see in Nehemiah's story that I think can help us turn our God-sized goals into a plan of action. God designed you, just like God designed Nehemiah, with everything you need to accomplish the goals God put in your heart. So number one, you've got you. We all have days when we feel insecure about who we are, or what we can do, but God designed you with care, with intention, and with purpose. And when God gives you a God-sized goal, ask, what do I bring the table? How can I contribute? You have a mind that can think, plan, and strategize. You have a unique blend of skills, experience, and knowledge, God-given interests, and passions. Number two, you have others. Just like Nehemiah discovered, most God-sized goals can't be achieved alone. And there's a lot we can accomplish on our own. But if we want to make lasting change, we're going to need other people involved with our lives. So when God gives you a God-sized goal, ask, who can I work with? Because you have friends and family. You have trusted adults, teachers, coaches, mentors. 
You have access to knowledge from experts through books, videos, and the internet, and you have access to influential people who can help make things happen either in person or online. Number three is we have things. Just like you needed some extra supplies to stack your uh, uh, Cheerios in the game, that this is for the game that we're going to play on Wednesday, you're going to have a, a stack of Cheerios that we're going to have. But um, just like you needed some extra supplies to stack Cheerios instead of on their own, um, and Nehemiah needed transportation, wood, letters, and the king's blessing, you're probably going to need some things to help you accomplish your God-sized goals. So when God gives you a God-sized goal, ask, what do I need and where can I get it? Everyone's God-sized goals will need different things, but maybe for you it's money, supplies, maybe an audience, a location, a platform, or even an opportunity. Number four is God. Most importantly, you've got God. Whether your goal is an everyday you-sized goal or a -a once-in-a-lifetime God-sized goal, God is with you, just like God was with Nehemiah. Like Nehemiah, God probably isn't going to give you a step-by-step plan for achieving your God-sized goals. But that's okay. You don't need one. Because you already have everything you need. Like Nehemiah, you are designed for God-sized goals. You've got the bricks. Now what will you build? Hopefully this has got you guys thinking about your goals and just how you're setting them in your own life. Remember, if you ever have questions, feel free to uh, ask me on at Youth Group on Wednesdays or send me a message on social media. Either way, I'm always happy to answer questions and pray with you guys um, and talk about your goals. Uh, With that, I'll see you next week.